Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Matt here. Guess what's happening on this week's binge list? This season has been a mess. I don't know what they were taking in the writer's room. But that was only the first three episodes, Gavin. Have you watched past those I'm episodes? up to date, Claire. Um, <laughs> I just switch off in utter annoyance, <laughs> waiting for the next laugh that never, ever came. When did it become acceptable for us all to be shelling out cash to watch all this content? Like, what? it's just like in the last two years, it's totally fine to be spending $30 a month on this shit when before we got <laughs> I would watch it from beginning to end, completely engrossed, disgusted, enthralled, excited, thrilled by it. I thought the first episode was fantastic. Can you think of any other show where you'd hear the term bush we used in an episode? Why is this show still on air? Stop. (laughs) Enough. Enough. Welcome to the final 2018 episode of Who Magazine's Binge List, your weekly guide to the best on TV. I'm your host, Matthew Denby, and joining me are Who's TV gurus, Gavin Scott and Claire Rigdon. Now, where has this year gone, guys? (laughs) I've lost a whole entire year to the couch and the TV, let's be honest. (laughs) I was going to say exactly the same thing. My TV has been, uh, my TV, my my year has been spent in front of the TV and uh, often a second screen. So uh, yeah, that's where my year's gone. (laughs) Well, I go up to a third and sometimes even a fourth because I've got a a work phone, a private phone, an iPad and the telly. A burner phone. No, you're just showing off. No, well, you know, if I only had more, more arms and hands and eyes and time. But anyway, it has been a fun year for TV, and it only seems like a very short time ago that we discussed the best TV of the first six months of this year. That was back in late June in episode 10 of Binge List, and now we're going to talk about the rest of the year. We'll also reveal our favourite show of 2018. Now, last time we universally agreed that the best shows so far were the ABC's Killing Eve and the second season of The Handmaid's Tale, which screened locally on SBS. Guys, those two shows were great. They really set the bar very high, didn't they? Mm, they they, they sure did. did. They did, and and it was kind of unusual for us to universally agree on on anything yeah. really. So for yeah. all three of us to pick those two shows, and and we didn't didn't confer before we picked our top fives no. in that in that episode. No. It just shows how good those shows were, I think. Definitely. Yeah, it's very, I mean, the more binge lists that we record, the more I realised how 
how different our tastes are. So it is pretty amazing that all three of us agreed on those two shows. Yeah, yeah. And to have two fantastic shows sort of so early in the year was kind of interesting yeah. too. It sort of maybe led us to believe this was going to be a blockbuster year and maybe it was in the end. We'll see what happens with the, the last six months of 2018. Now, Gavin, you're going to start us off by talking about your top five shows of the second half of 2018, Far Away. Okay, yes, it's top five time. And as regular listeners know, I do love a list. So here is... <laughs> Yeah, the list. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, number five, the marvelous maze, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, season two, and I'm com- going to come back and talk about that in a little bit more detail at the end. My number four show for the second half of the year was On the Ropes, the SBS drama. Ooh. That felt exciting and new for me, and and not a rehash of shows that we've seen over and over. My cool. number three show, Australian Survivor, Champions versus Contenders, which was the best execution of the local version of Survivor yet for me. Um, I, I thought they did really well. And my number two show, though, is Survivor, David versus Goliath. Similar premise. Ah. Executed perfectly with some very savvy players. It's not quite finished. There's a couple of episodes left, and I can't pick who the winner's going to be. But coming in at number one, and this may surprise people, is Orange is the New Black Season 6. I couldn't, yeah, wow. I couldn't watch this quickly enough. The new location, the, the new prison it was set in, it gave it a whole new energy. And I'm really looking forward to the final season next year. Hopefully there will be justice for Tasty uh, in that. I, <laughs> no, I won't say any more. I know. Poor Tasty. I won't say too much because I don't know, don't know if people have uh, watched it yet. But, uh, yeah, that, that was the one of the big cliffhangers of the final episode was, was yeah, poor tasty. Uh, but, yes, let, let's backtrack to The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Now, season two of this has only just dropped. Uh, December 5, it came out. And season one ended on a high with Midge, who is a 1950s housewife who's discovered that she can do stand-up, for people who haven't watched the show, won lots of Emmys early in the year. Uh, So it ended on a high with her being introduced by Lenny Bruce, who was actually a a real-life comedian. Uh, and giving, I thought he was. I yeah. thought he was going nuts. Yeah, he is, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, and she gave a triumphant gig to, to end season one on a high note. But in season two, everything has gone to hell. Her day job, her family life, and any chance of reconciliation with Joel, which I'm not too upset about because Joel's a bit of a douche. But uh, <laughs> season two, I've watched five episodes so far, and she's starting to piece things back together. She's still sneaking off to do these stand-up shows that the people in her everyday life know nothing about. So how long can that continue? That's part of the fun. When When's she going to get rumbled for this kind of sideline <laughs> life she has? But uh, the, the gigs are the highlight of this for me, and, and the fast talking in it seems quicker than previously. Now, obviously, the fast talking is thanks to the... Uh, the creators, Amy Sherman Palladino and Daniel Palladino, who were behind Gilmore Girls. And uh, it's, the more I watch Mrs. Maisel, the more I see it's, it's very similar in the fact that the main thrust of the show I really enjoy, but there's a lot of sideline non- nonsense that I find irritating. In, uh, in Gilmore Girls, it was basically half of Stars Hollow that I hated, where I quite liked the Gilmore family. In this one, I really, really love Midge and her manager and the stand-up storyline and all that kind of stuff, but there's a lot of silliness around them that uh, you know I'm putting up with for the moment, but yeah, hopefully it's not going to get on my nerves too oh, much. Oh, I love all that silliness. That's what I love about this Some show. of it I like, but some of it is just like people don't talk like that, people don't act like that. Even in the 50s, I'm sure they didn't. That, you know, chitter-chatter, chitter-chatter, chitter stuff. Um, but, yeah, I'm enjoying the show. It's in my top five, so there we go. But, yeah, Claire, you're into it as well, aren't you? Yeah, I'm up to episode eight. Um, oh, wow. I've absolutely, yeah, I've absolutely devoured this. I love it. I just think it's the most 
amazingly astute decision for Amazon Video to um, to program this because um, they sent me the first four episodes as screeners and I finished them and immediately signed up for Amazon oh. and paid the money, went straight online and watched another two episodes with my husband. Yeah, it's that good. That I mean, I am the last person that needs to sign up to these. I get sent most of the screeners for free. But I was like, no, I want to be able to go back and watch this over and over again. It's so great. Um, I don't want to give anything away if you haven't seen it, but there's a couple of scenes in the first couple of episodes where Midge's parents go off to Paris Mm. and it's just so fantastic. And you're right, Gavin, a lot of the way that they talk is not at all believable in the same way that the Gilmore Girls, their patois wasn't either. But I don't care. It's like (laughs) a little fantasy world and it's just so fun to be in that world for a couple of hours a night if you're binging the series like I am. I mean, if only just to look at Midge's coats, like they're just amazing. But, hey, I've got a question for you guys. Do you know whether this show is loosely based on Joan Rivers' life? I keep wondering that. I'm sure I... that it would be at least inspired because she was always seen as as the trailblazer in this sort of thing. And yeah, there are some and parallels the same there. era, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, I haven't seen much of this show at all. I actually only saw the first of it yesterday when I was on a Qantas flight. Oh, was, yeah, that's where I saw it too, yeah, on Virgin I, Flight. Yeah. I saw it for about 20, 25 minutes before we were about to land. I did enjoy it, but I haven't seen enough of it to judge or not whether I think it's fantastic. I do trust Sign both up. of your judgments. Sign up. Yeah, I so love it. it doesn't feature in my top five this time, but it's not because I dislike it. I just haven't seen enough of it. But I want to know why aren't people called Midge anymore? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's short for Miriam. You're right. Um, yeah, yeah. So her name is actually Miriam Maisel. But yeah, Midge is fantastic, isn't it? Yeah. Such a good name. Yeah. Now, and, and as for the way that people talk, whether it's realistic or not, have you guys been seeing some of those old archive clips of ABC News footage from the 60s that they're running online on Facebook? They pop up. And you see, they're no. like um, vox pops of people in the streets of Sydney and Melbourne back in the 60s. Oh, unreal. And the, the way that people talk was totally different, men and women. Totally different, totally mm. different. Women much higher pitch, sort of faster. Men sort of slower, more sort of stereotypically ochre that you don't really hear that much anymore, at least not in the cities. So who knows if uh, if if uh, Marvelous is accurate That's or not? That's true. In that sense. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot about that show that reminds me of my nana. A lot of the way that she lives her life and all the you know the the the, the matching your shoes to your bag and um, yeah, like I think that there was a lot of that. Yeah. It's fairly true life. But so, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I'm going to go check that out. It's on the Facebook page, is it? Yeah, on ABC. All these old archive clips that are coming up, they're really, really oh, fun. Oh, cool. Yeah. I love that stuff. In terms of the dialogue, I, I did see an interview with Rachel Brosnahan who plays Midge or Miriam, and she was saying that uh, it has to be word perfect. The the Paladinos who, who write this show are very insistent that every if, but, yeah, and really. down to they can't say don't. If it's do not in the script, they have to say do not. It, it, they have to be word perfect. So I think they write it as almost like poetry in a way, and it, it does come across yeah. like that way when they speak. But I think the big question is, is is it going to feature in Claire's top five, which we're going to get to soon? We sure will. But before we get to Claire's top five, we're going to stop and talk about one of the more impressive and interesting shows of the second part of this year. Uh, the one show that we all raved about consistently when it began was Netflix's Bodyguard. 
Picard. Now that we've all had the time to see the entire series right through to the end, has anyone changed their mind? And was it good enough to be the best show of the year? What did you think of Bodyguard, Claire? Um, I really loved it. And I was hooked right from the get-go. But I do think, and I think that you guys might share my views on this, that it lost me for a little bit once they killed off. Oh, spoiler alert. So stop listening now if you don't want to know who gets killed off. But once they killed off Keely Hawes' character, um, the yeah, the Julia, uh, yeah, kind of like I, I, they, I, it was a stroke of genius to do that and I love that they did that. But it kind of meant that a lot of the reason why I loved it, which was that amazing sizzling chemistry between her and David Budd, was kind of non-existent and I thought the final episode dragged a little bit and I was actually left a little bit bored and frustrated by the last sort of 10 to 15 minutes of episode one but still I really liked this show I loved the chemistry as I just said and I, I, I'm really interested to see if they'll go ahead with a series two without Keely because it kind of feels a little bit like I, like I sort of feel about this show the same way that I do about the night manager and that is that they should just have left it as one very excellent standalone series. Yeah. What did you think about it, Matt? Look, I was um, obsessed with it from the get-go. As we all know, back from when we reviewed this show to start with, I thought the first episode was fantastic. It grabbed me by the throat. I had no interest in really watching it before I watched it. I was watching yes, it for I work knew. and I thought, wow, this blew my mind. And I immediately told all my friends, you've got to watch Bodyguard. You've got to watch it. Now, I was gripped the whole way through up until about, I'm going to say halfway to two-thirds through when the plot started to become, in my opinion, unnecessarily complex convoluted, tangled, conspiratorial. I think they were trying too hard to be shocking. I think they think, you know, probably correctly, the audiences are quite sophisticated now and they think they know where things are going and they just want to throw a monkey wrench in there and shock yeah. everybody. But despite the fact that I didn't love some of the change in tone and how convoluted it got, I still did stick right to the end and it still remains one of my favourite shows of the last part of the year. It was that good in its setup, and it was that good in the character and it was that good in its originality. So, yeah, despite the fact it didn't go really where I wanted it to go in the end, I still did love it. What did you think, Gavin? Well, I'm going to – well, I kind of agree with both of you but also disagree. I, I agree that from episode four on after they had killed off – and I'm, I'm glad you did the spoiler alert, Claire. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, after I they stopped myself just in time. Yes. Uh, after they killed her off, I really think it should have been one extra episode, maybe two at the most. I feel like three episodes – uh, just dragged it out and dragged it out. Yeah, and, I agree. Um, it, it felt to me like The Fall, where the first season of that was just amazing. It was this great show. Yeah. It's the Jamie Dornan, Gillian uh, so Anderson series where you're following her investigating a serial killer and you're following him being the serial killer. And that was amazing in season one. And then season two, yeah, that was okay. And then season three was like, why is this show still on air? Stop. Enough. Enough. <laughs> because Jamie Dorman, that's all, that's all yeah. the excuse they, you need. They were wringing every last drop out of that premise. And I feel like with uh, Bodyguard, it was the same thing. Episode one, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. Episode two, three, yep, really good. Wasn't really happy about the fact that the, the male and female lead had to fall into bed together. I thought it would 
been more interesting. I loved that. If, well, I just thought it would be more interesting if they hadn't. It was a little bit predictable. Then when they killed her off, it was like, okay, there's the investigation. He's going to get set up, set up for it. That could have all been resolved in one episode. By episode six, which it took me two weeks after episode five to get back to watch episode six because oh, I was so really? disinterested by that point. I put it on. I was like, well, right, I better finish watching it because, you know, I need to get to the end of this one. I wasn't even really paying attention. I was like, oh, okay, yep, now he's strapped, he's got bombs strapped to him. Sorry, spoiler alert again. And that whole <laughs> thing where he and his wife are walking through the streets, you know, with that bomb strapped to him, I was like, get yeah, on with that. it. It was just yeah, so dragged felt, yeah. out. And, and, yeah. and for me, it ruined the whole show for me because whatever had been great about the start of it, I'd completely lost that sentiment by the end of it because I was just like, right, this is just hard work now. So, yeah, I think we're all in agreement, but I, I guess our takeaway is slightly different. I can't walk away going, yeah, I had a good experience with Bodyguard. I walk away going, ugh. Oh, really? Look, I liked it. I liked it. It's not my top five, but it was one of my favourite shows. Top ten for sure. Yeah, this has sort of crystallised something in my mind that I've been thinking for a while. I really hope we're going to enter an era of one-season shows where they're, yes. they're planned, fully written and executed yes. for one season rather than being dragged out on totally. and on and on and on. I hope that will happen. I know there's a, like an economy of scale of, of having all the same actors and sets built and all that sort of stuff that encourages uh, the network to continue with series. But artistically, I feel that it was, it's going to help TV much more if we have a fantastic storyline with a beginning, middle mm. and an end that wraps up. I don't really think I really want to see Bodyguard Season 2, but I am open-minded. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah but I kind of thought that a little bit about Handmaid's Tale. And, and yet Season 2, even though it strayed from the source material that Margaret Atwood provided with her novel, it, it, it kind of took it and it made it better. So, yeah, mm. I'm kind of in your camp, but I sort of feel like The Handmaid's Tale disproves that. Well, I disagree there, but we'll get more onto Handmaid's hmm. a little later on. Now, Claire, it's your turn. What yes. were your favourite shows of the second half of 2018? Okay, so I um, quickly added an extra one in there. So tying for fifth place is The Good Place, season three. And Sharp Objects, which was the Amy Adams series, which I'd completely forgotten about until I was sort of something jogged my memory today and I was like, oh, my God, that's right. That was amazing. Uh, Number four is actually the ABC True Crime um, series of special called Exposed, the case of Kelly Lane, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, Coming in at number three is my all-time favourite Guilty Pleasure TV, which is Claws, which is season two, which was on Stan. Coming in at number two, Gav, uh, (gasps) is probably unsurprisingly The Marvellous Mrs. Maisel. Yay! Series two. So great. But, uh, yeah, I loved – but I kind of watched season one as well in the second half of the year because, as I said, I watched it on a return flight from Melbourne to Perth on Virgin. So there you go. Hot tip. Um, and coming in at number one, I really feel like I need to veer away from our usual stuff and make a note of a very special little show that has completely captured my heart, which is Bluey on ABC for Kids, which is something we talked about a couple of weeks ago. So this little show is about a little family of blue healers living in Queensland, and it's the only program, I think, that I could honestly say that I want to give five stars to in this second half of the year it's just brilliant and the best thing about it is that it's locally made which is really amazing for an animation 
because most of the time it might be local content or an idea. A lot of the animation these days is done overseas in China or India, places where it's a lot cheaper to hire animators. But, um, yeah, so I just can't remember the last time that I loved a show as much as this. The characters are just so well drawn. It's really relatable for families with young children. The play scenarios and the language that they use. Like, for example, can you think of any other show where you'd hear the term bushwee used in an episode? No. The only people that know what a bushwee is is uh, Australian parents, but anyway. Um, and they're just the performances of the voice talent, which includes Dave McCormack from Custard, the Australian band Custard, who plays the dad blue healer. It's just so beautiful. And um, I actually think I like it more than my four-year-old son, which is who it's totally aimed at. <laughs> but, um, yeah, we've, he loves it so much we've even started playing little games of Bluey. Like, so the other day we were at the beach and we were playing Bluey and my son had to be Bluey and I had to be Bingo, the younger dog, and we had this very imaginative game. So it's almost like this little show about imaginative play is actually sparking my son to play more imaginatively, which is really great. So, yeah, I urge anyone to check this out, whether you've got kids or not. Just put it on. It'll make you feel so much better about the world. Uh, back to your number four, Expose the Case of Kelly Lane. Yeah. There's certainly been an explosion in real-life crime stories. I think led, of course, by Netflix and some of their shows, but the ABC has been producing a lot of them as yeah. well. And we all know that the Teacher's Pet podcast has been massive, massive, massive. We're mm. probably going to see more and more of these shows in 2019. Wouldn't you say so, Gavin? Oh, I, I think so, especially after the events of the last couple of weeks with, uh, with yeah, with what's happened with the teacher's pet case. Um, yeah, that's amazing. And I think, yeah, ABC have been getting into this uh, a lot this year, obviously with, with Kelly Lane, but also Baron Joey Road, which I wasn't as big a fan of. Uh, you can listen back to us talk about that a few episodes ago. Um, but I feel I think the free-to-air channels are starting to get into it as well. I feel like 7 and 9 are really getting into true crime and, and true crime specials, and I think there's probably going to be a few series next year. So I think we're going to yeah. be seeing a lot of true crime, not just on Netflix, not just on ABC, but across yeah, the board, like, really. Yeah that, yeah. that case that's been on the front pages down in Melbourne about Lawyer X, if you're from Melbourne, you'll know what I'm talking about. That is just ripe for an underbelly reboot. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that uh, Netflix and the other streaming services are, are all going to have a bit of an advantage with this because it sort of seems like the, the binge TV formula that does so well on streaming services is, is made for these true life crime shows. Oh, for sure, mm. because, yeah, it's one of those things where you watch the first one and you just have to keep watching because you want to – if they're produced well, yeah. like some of the ones we've talked about, uh, like uh, Evil Genius, for example, yeah. uh, you know, you get to the end and you're like, I need to know what happened next. I need to find yeah, out totally. the, the, the next – If especially if you don't know the crimes. If you know the crimes and, and the stories from when they took place, you, you know, maybe you're not as um, compelled to, to binge. But when you don't know the like me the any of the stories, you get to the end and, and it's like right. So what happened? What happened? It, if they're done well, yeah. they're like a drama as good as something like Killing Eve or Handmaid's Tale, where yeah. you want to see what happens next. Which is kind of a, a weird way to think about crime, yeah. as as cliffhangers yeah. and plot twists and yeah. things like that. But that's what we've come to. But I think right. it all depends on the quality of the the storylines, the the crimes that they can use for these. Because um, one show that was massive in real life crime originally was making. A murderer, and they brought out a second season this year, which has really not caught the zeitgeist. You don't hear people talking about it on the on the train. It's not everywhere with its revelations. I think uh, j just 
great branding and um, stor- familiar stories aren't enough, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it's interesting though. The thing that um, really fascinates me about all of these series is the potential for real life outcomes because of these investigations. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously Teacher's Pet, the podcast done by The Australian, is a prime example of new information coming to light which directly led to an arrest because of the podcast. Now, the Kelly Lane um the Kelly Lane series that Caro Meldrum Hannah, who is an amazing journalist and actually sparked a royal commission because of her reporting for Four Corners on the Northern Territory juvenile justice system, that she's continued, um, she's opened a public Facebook page where people can continue to put information and leads on that page and she will pursue it. Now, She's such an amazing journo and the team that she's got is so great that there's every every possibility that new information might come to hand because it's back in the public eye and, and, and the consciousness. So, yeah, I find this so fascinating that these types of shows and potentially the most recent series of um, Making a Murderer as well can lead to real outcomes for the people that they're covering, whether that's a positive one, i.e. Kelly Lane gets out of jail if she's found innocent or a negative one like the guy from Teacher's Pet. So, yeah, I just think I think these, when done well, are just incredible game changers on TV. Yep, yep. And there have been some other game changers to this year. 2018 hasn't been all wine and roses on TV. There's been some real shockers put to air. Gavin, what was your biggest disappointment of the last six months? Yeah, this is going to be a controversial one, especially given Claire's top five. But for me, <laughs> oh, no. The Good Place season three, for me, oh, really? this season has been a mess. I, I loved season one and two, and, and I said as much when we talked about it. I think I described it as a near-perfect show. Then season three came along, and I don't, I don't know what they were taking in the writer's room. But uh, it just seems to have veered from one dead end story to another, and then there what? were then there were all the dodgy Aussie accents thrown into the mix. I just felt I, it didn't seem to have a clear direction. This is where this season is headed, and I don't mind when the good place blows up its premise and reinvents itself. I'm not talking about that. It just all the stuff in Australia and and this. Um, but that was only the first three episodes, Gavin. Have you watched past those? Episodes? I am up to date, Claire. Um, <laughs> I, well, I'm Janet. getting I'm getting to Janet's, yes. Um, but all the stuff in Australia was just like, yeah, where's this going? It didn't seem to go anywhere. Then they were tripping all over the world and, and uh, Eleanor was confronting her mother and there were just these random plot twists that, that didn't seem to go anywhere and didn't seem to be building a season arc. But having said that, the episode that just aired with all the Janets, where, where the character of Janet basically played all the other characters, or, or, <laughs> yeah. or the four the four human characters. Give that Darcy Carden was, an Emmy now. Uh, yeah, that was amazing. And now I'm thinking, okay, maybe they've got it back on track. Maybe they've pulled it all in. And maybe this is part of a master plan. So I am prepared to, uh, to rethink this. But for me so far, Ooh. The Good Place has been a disappointment. One thing I know you and I can agree on, Claire is that uh, a disappointment in the second half of this year was that hardly any Australian dramas have been able to sustain interest beyond the first episode. Yes. Great first episode, second, eh, for me, On the Ropes, because it was in my top five, was the only one that did it. I watched all four episodes. I got to the end. I was interested the entire way, but so many others. Pine Gap. I didn't even find out who the mole was in Pine Gap. Me neither. I was like, I still don't know. I interviewed the chick from Pine Gap today that... um, her name's Tess 
tests uh, somebody. Um, it, yeah, I feel really bad for the fact that um, I couldn't actually get really specific about Pine Gap with her because I didn't want to go, oh, I've only seen the first two episodes. If you're listening, Tess, my apologies. I really wanted to love it, but I just didn't. But it's just, And Fighting Season was another one, really strong first episode, and then I went on to watch the second episode and I was like, yeah, I don't, don't really care. What was Fighting Season about again? The, uh, the, the J. Ryan war, uh, war unit oh, yeah, coming no, back I really from Iraq. That. I, I really liked the first I episode. the first two episodes. You're right, Gav, I didn't. So that, that's a bit of a disappointment for, for me. Uh, Claire, what, what else has disappointed you this second half of the year? Um... I think that there's been some shows that have been hanging around for way too long that should have been given the ass, and there are others that have been given the ass that shouldn't have. The case in point being Tonightly, mm. Tom Ballard's show. Now, I wasn't a massive fan of that show, but I did like the fact that they were giving it a go and they were sticking with it, and then all of a sudden when all of that ABC stuff, you know, was happening, all of a sudden, you know, it it's gone. And in my opinion, it was axed right at the time where it was starting to get relevant and really, really good. Do you like, think? A lot of their stuff went viral around the time of the um, all the leadership stuff um, with with uh, Turnbull and ScoMo and all of that stuff. Yeah, I, I, maybe it's just because it was getting in my feed a lot more. Maybe it was that good the whole time. I'm, I personally don't think it has been. But, um, yeah, I just feel like they should have stuck around with it like Channel 10 did with the project and just and with Have You Been Paying Attention and just given it at least 12 months, my God. I don't think I agree with you, Claire. Now, I gave this show so many chances. I really wanted to like it. I liked that there was a bunch of young comedians getting a chance, working with really edgy material. I love the fact that ABC um, brings forward new talent like this. I was so open to liking this, but it just wasn't consistently funny. Some of it no, was it actually dire, really, really dire. I'd just switch off in utter annoyance, <laughs> waiting for the next laugh that never, ever came. And I think, you know, politics is a bit of a difficult subject to broach because obviously nothing should be off limits, but it sort of felt like it was just too rabidly political and, and sort of rabidly sort of stereotypically left-wing intersectional yeah, kind yeah. of... No, politics, I which I don't have a problem with any of that, but please just make it funny. Don't let the politics become... there were become... some really funny skits, like right. the funniest stand-ups, like sketch comedy stuff that I've seen in years on Aussie TV was at the end of Tonightly. Okay, well, my, my complaint would be that they allowed the politics to come before the humour. I think they started with the politics and then worked backwards trying to make it funny. Um, and it didn't always come off. What did you think, Gavin? You know what? I never watched it, but I will agree with Claire that I did seem to be seeing it a lot more in my Twitter feed and things like that, and then it was gone. So right. it, it seemed it's yeah. But, Matt, I want to know what was your big biggest disappointment for the second half of the year? Right. Well, before we get to the second half, let me just reference there was Here a, a big... <laughs> There was a big <laughs> landmark disappointment in the first half Here of this go. year that Here you all all remember, Here which was that I was bitterly disappointed with the finale episode of The Handmaid's no, Tale. No, you don't say. Yes. Well, I mean, my rant on that is notorious and it's still online and still gets a lot of clicks, so do check it out. It's called <laughs> Why I'm Getting Out of Gilead. Anyway, but moving on. This this <laughs> this half of the year, my biggest disappointment is... At least you can get out of Gilead, Matt. Not yeah. all of us ladies are able to do that. True, Just true, saying. true. Okay. So my biggest disappointment is that we're getting nowhere with this increasing plethora of 
subscription TV platforms that keep growing and growing and growing and growing yes. to the point that yes. we've now got Stan, Netflix, Ten All Access, Amazon Prime, YouTube Red and Foxtel. Now, how many people out in the public are going to be able to manage financially and time-wise to subscribe to all of them? They're simply not going to be able to do it. And at the end of the day, some of them are going to have to go. My frustration, my disappointment is that nobody's come up with a model yet. My ideal model would be some kind of a platform where you pay a flat fee and you get certain access to all of these platforms where you maybe pay per show that you use. There are so many shows on the platforms that I am subscribe to that I never watch and there are a couple that I love I would love to be able to cherry pick from all of these different platforms and get something good now perhaps yeah. that's not financially viable but to me it just makes sense surely we could do because it because we've been doing it forever right and it's called a tv licensing fee and it's called free-to-air television right 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 what did you think of that Gavin? Become, but, but, sorry to interrupt but like when did it become acceptable for us all to be shelling out cash to watch all this content like it's just like in the last two years it's totally fine to be spending thirty dollars a month on this shit when before we (laughs) yeah look i'm happy to pay for quality tv rather than have to sit through ads and all that sort of thing but i'm not going to pay for all of these platforms it's ridiculous i don't have enough time I don't. And I'm not going to pay to have access to hundreds of shows I don't want to watch when there's maybe three or four per platform that I'd be interested in watching. Gavin? Well, I I think it's going to get competitive. Like we already saw, what was that one? Was it Quick Flicks or or whatever it's called? I can't even remember now. But we saw that squeezed out of the market because it just couldn't compete. Yeah. 10 All Access are the newest launch. And already the feedback on that is that it just doesn't have enough on there. Uh, and, and it's true, there, there isn't heaps of new content on there. There's lots of old content on there. But yeah. compared to Netflix and Stan, which is cranking out the uh, original new content, 10 All Access is going to have to lift its game to compete or people aren't going to pay $10 a month for, you know, 36 seasons of Survivor aren't going to be enough for most people to convince them to pay $10 a month. So I think we're just going to see Survival of the Fittest. Yeah. And Stan and Netflix are the old guard. They're established. And Ten All Access and Amazon will just have to lift their game up because Amazon has the international story. Yes. And they've got things like Mrs. Maisel that they can bring in and, and, and things like that. So I don't know. I think we might see Ten All Access struggle unless it can put a lot more content on. And Foxtel, I don't know. I, I feel like Foxtel have to really rethink the way they do. And they are constantly rethinking the way yeah. they do things. But, uh, you know, gone to the They need to make it available for Apple TV. That's my big bugbear with Foxtel. Because you can't, I can't watch it on my Apple, which is just ridiculous. And I get why they don't do that because they're trying to get you to get a Foxtel subscription. But come Mm. on. Well, yeah. I mean, gone are the days when people would pay $100 a month for the Platinum Foxtel. Oh, my God. Now people will, you know, will just want, will expect that they're going to pay between $10 and $20 a month. And paying to watch ads. How archaic is that? Oh, that's crazy. That's yeah. crazy did you guys? Did you guys see this week I put a, twi- a tweet out there? I, it's taken me this long to figure out you can fast forward the ads on SBS On Demand. <laughs> can you? A game changer. Yes, you can, Gavin. Wow. Which means that you don't have to sit through those Melbourne Polytechnic ads, which was driving <laughs> me nuts. Like, because... I'm still binging You're the Worst. I know, like I'm up to season three now, but I'm still there and, I, and I, it's taken me, like it took me up until like three days ago to realise it. Yeah, right. My God, it's a game changer. Because that's the thing you, you didn't 
mention as well, Matt, is that there is also iView and SBS On Demand. Exactly. And, and, and iView have launched its whole plethora of shows for summer, including Catastrophe Season 3, which I'm finally, oh, getting, finally getting to watch. Um, so, yeah, there, there's those as well. Plus 7 Plus, Plus 10 Play, Plus 9 Now. Preview, which has yeah, but they're all free, which makes it more palatable. But they're competing yeah, but for our time. They are. That's away, true. Though. Very true. No. For real, though, how much are we giving away to these companies? There's got to be a reason why they're free, right? Mm. I've just given up. You can have whatever you want from me. (laughs) (laughs) Take all my personal info. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, now it's my turn. Drum roll. Nominate my top five for the second part of this year. Starting at number five, I really enjoyed The Connors. Without Roseanne, I thought the the, uh, acting, the script writing, the laughs, fantastic, enjoyable show. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like it's going to survive simply because of the (laughs) backlash over Roseanne leaving. I haven't missed her at all, to be honest. I think that it's a really... Really good old school sitcom. It's proof that you can rejig an old sitcom and make it relevant. The way they updated it was fantastic. I really enjoyed it. Okay, and number four, Ryan Murphy's Pose. Fantastic mm. new yeah. iteration of Paris is Burning, the classic drag ball documentary. Really enjoyable. Fantastic that they use so many authentic performers. A lot of diversity. Really enjoyable. Brought it to a mass audience. It's a shame it was on a bit of a delay in its release in Australia, but I enjoyed it nonetheless. At number three, Gogglebox, fantastic entertainment. The only yeah, holdover from I, I put this is in my top five in the first part of mm. the year too. But I still enjoy it. It's event TV in my house. We love it. We laugh nonstop. Now I was very very sad to see that our um, binge list friends Angie and Evie yes. are leaving, as are I Wayne and Tom. Know. What's up with that, I'm Angie and Evie? Yeah. So sad. You can't have another life. I'm sorry. No, they can't. Now, I hope that we're not going to uh, be be missing them. I hope that in some way they're going to find an ongoing presence in the media because I do love Angie and Evie. And I love Wayne and Tom as well. Come and chat TV, girls. Both duos are the heart and soul of the show. Um, Mm. I don't know how they're going to do without them. I think maybe... They're going to have to do some fantastic casting to yes. come anywhere near close again to getting that kind of talent. So, fingers crossed because I don't want to see Have those guys been picked up by another network though? This well, was my theory. It's like, hmm, interesting. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Well, fingers crossed that the show isn't ruined. Okay, at number two, my second favourite show was The Kaminsky Method. Fantastic. No, I loved it. No, the reason I decided to place it so high was because I keep finding myself thinking about it, even though I haven't watched it for several weeks now. I still think about it, and something has really stayed with me about it. And what I think it is, is the way that it handles the issue of friendship, especially sort of male friendships and friendships that last many, many decades. Um, It sort of resonated with me with some of my friendships, the close friendships that you go through different stages of your life, um, landmarks in your life and your friends stay with you and you stay with them and you see life passing by and uh, the changes. Oh, God, how depressing. No, it's not. I saw it as something really sort of moving and and, um, deep and um, kind of – Resonant. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It wasn't just a comedy for me. I thought it had something deeper to say. So, yes, uh, the Kaminsky method certainly changed my views of Chuck Lorre. 
That's for sure. And at number one is Bodyguard. Yes, despite the reservations, despite the reservations that I did uh, discuss earlier, it remained my favourite show. Which which proved that shows can take wrong turns but still retain your favour. Yes, brilliant viewing. Well, there we go. So, in conclusion, do any of the shows in the past six months beat out Killing Eve and The Handmaid's Tale to be the best show of the year? You start, Claire. Tell us what is your favourite show. I was going to put Bluey down, actually, and I was thinking, yeah, I do love that show and it's just everything good about good, wholesome, lovely, life-affirming television. But actually, you know what? I'm going to say <gasps> Handmaid's. Handmaid's Tale beats all of them. I'm just still, I'm like you just said about Kaminsky Method, I'm still thinking about this and it's been so long since I've watched it. I'm not going to go back and watch it again because it's just too traumatic, but it's lingered and I'm absolutely hanging out for season three. So, yes, Handmaid's. Well, there, there we go. And and interestingly, talking about going back and, and watching it again, side note, Stan have just picked up The Handmaid's Tale Season 1 and it's uh, launching, I, th- I think, the day this podcast comes out, December 12. Uh, so if you haven't seen Season 1 and you have Stan, but not SBS On Demand, which is weird because everyone has SBS On Demand, um, <laughs> you can watch Handmaid's Tale on Stan. Oh, and it's going to be in 4K, apparently. I, I, I'm not familiar. What does that even mean? Yeah, who knows? It's, I, I think, you, you know, get to high see res. all those gruesome scenes in high definition. That's right. Thank super, you. super. But you know what, Claire? I am going to agree with you. My favourite show for the entire year uh, isn't Orange is the New Black. That that would be up there. But I agree. Handmaid's Tale Season 2 is my number one show for the year because without fail, every episode, I would just be glued to the screen. I wouldn't yeah. be looking at my phone. I wouldn't be looking at, it at any of my other screens. I would watch it from beginning to end, completely engrossed, disgusted, enthralled, excited, thrilled by it. Um and we do have to talk about the ending because I know Matt hates the ending. and I loved it. I've been thinking about it, like you, Claire. I've been thinking about this show a lot since then. And for me, I, I'm still happy with that ending. I know it was controversial, but I do feel like the whole season led up to that moment. Yeah. The idea of motherhood and particularly totally. Hannah was ever present in June's mind throughout the season for me. And so I can see that given the chance to get both her kids out, she'd take it, especially having just seen Hannah and Hannah given giving her that guilt trip of you know yeah. why why didn't you try harder as, as only five-year-olds can <laughs> yeah so I, I do feel like that that was the the story for the whole arc was her coming to the realization that she had to get hannah out of of, mm. of gilead but the other reason because and i think i mentioned that that uh when we talked about it previously the other thing i've, I've come to realize is that it's not going to be satisfying for me until June gets out of Gilead under her own steam. I feel like had she escaped early on in season two when she was off in the Boston Globe offices, it would have been because of Nick. Had she escaped at the uh, end of yes. the season, it would have been because of Bradley Whitford's character helping her. She didn't do anything in that escape. You know, the Martha came up to her and said, hey, we can get you out, let's go. And she got rushed through the fields and then Bradley Whitford was going to get her out. She was very, very passive in that moment. And I'm not going to be uh, satisfied with June getting out of Gilead until she's active in the yes. in the thing. She needs to find her own escape. She can't. Just... Yeah, but here's the thing, Gavin. Mm-hmm. What's the chances of her being able to do that? Well, and that's this is the, the challenge. Thing that worries me is is that I feel like there's not a happy ending for June necessarily. Perhaps well, maybe. for Hannah and the baby. Maybe, the maybe. Other thing... 
The other thing that really got me thinking um, post Handmaid's finale is the fantastic plot device that the writers introduced by have giving the Marthas a voice in that final episode mm. because that hints of a whole entire narrative universe that's about to open up in season three as we get to see more of how it all works from different points of view, which is what was so great about season two. We got a bit more about um, Yvonne Shirovsky's character. (laughs) But, yeah, I feel like there's just the scope has just opened right out and I'm so excited to see where that goes. And, I mean, you asked if if June could get out under her own steam, but obviously her best friend, uh, Samara Wiley, what's her character name, Moira? Moira, yeah. Yeah, Moira got out herself. So if Moira, did, yes, if Moira did, can do did. it, June can do it, and she can get Hannah out. June can do anything. I'm, I'm convinced she of it. Pretty, yeah, I feel like I've read a few things where Margaret Atwood have, has kind of hinted that perhaps not, that maybe it doesn't all end well. And, of course, Margaret Atwood is writing the sequel yes. as we speak. She oh is. Oh, my God. Very exciting. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I don't think exciting. The Handmaid's Tale is going to end well. I, I think there's got to be, yeah, I think there's going to be a very horrible part of season three. I mean, it wouldn't be The Handmaid's Tale if it was all, you know, happiness. Is it the and, final season, Gav? Is season three the I, last one? I don't think they've said, but I don't think it can sustain it much more than that. But, anyway, we've given our number one show for the entire year. What is Matt's? Right. Well, as much as I did enjoy most of season two of Handmaid's Tale, despite the ending, it's not my favourite show of the year. My favourite show of the year is Killing Eve, starring Sandra Oh. oh. Yes. yes. That was that was such a close second second for me as yeah. well. Yeah. I love the humour. I love the tension. I love the shocks. I love the great writing. I love the good acting. It was really, really impressive television. I could not get enough of it. I hope that Sandra O oh continues to produce quant- content this good. I think that it's fantastic and um, I really enjoyed that we got to see it on um, iView. Can we talk about the Emmy nominations? Oh, my God, Jodie Cromer didn't get one, but Sandra uh, – sorry, not, not Emmy, Golden Globes. Because, yeah, Jodie didn't get one for playing Eve, but Sandra O oh got one for playing her character. I was a bit gutted about that because I feel like you can't have one without the other. They were equally as excellent. It, it is interesting, and obviously Sandra is hosting uh, the, oh, the, yeah. the ceremony, which, which is uh, which is great for her. I think she'll be great with Andy Samberg, the two of them. But I, I think it's really telling that so the three of us once again have come down in favour of The Handmaid's Tale and Killing Eve as beating out the entire second half of the year. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Let, let's hope 20, 2019 has uh, something to offer that's going to rival these shows. Yes, and 2019 is going to be a fascinating year for TV viewers and listeners of Binge List. We are coming back next year with Season Two. It's going to be a little different, but a lot the same. It's going to be some great new stuff and some stuff you still love and you still can't get enough of. So do look forward to season two of Binge List. It is coming. Now, if you enjoyed this episode, make sure you are subscribed on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And we look forward to seeing you in 2019. Until then, happy viewing, everyone. Bye. Bye. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Bye-bye now. <laughs> Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.